Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Jonas Salzgeber, the author and biohacker, was our guest on today's show. I first came across Jonas having read his book, The Little Book of Stoicism, which he co-wrote with his brother. It really helped me find a positive way of looking at the lockdown and using the time as best I could. And after a few emails, I found myself in Thun, Switzerland, interviewing him on the way to visit a friend who was living nearby. Uh, We had a really in-depth conversation on stoicism, his discovery of the philosophy, the process of writing the book, and his work with his brother on biohacking and on sleep. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. So here's Jonas Salzgeber. So Jonas, this is super exciting. I can't believe we've finally done it, like several months of, of planning of me trying to get here. Um, and you're finally, we finally get to have this, this chat about your book. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so I discovered stoicism thanks thanks to your book, thanks to a friend of mine that just was was posting on Instagram on her story about it. Um, I hope she's listening. Actually, I'll send her this episode. Hopefully, she will. But she just kept posting stuff, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really interesting." And uh, I was I was blown away actually when I read it, and I was like, "How have I never come across this before?" Because the only times I'd, I'd find stoicism were in a couple of books I'd read this year where people were talking about Seneca or Marcus Aurelius and it just sort of kept coming up and then she had posted the from your book and I was like, okay, I need to find out what this is all about. So like, what, what first introduced you to, to Stoicism? Yeah, so first of all, thanks to, to your friend for posting all this uh, information on her Instagram. Um, I got introduced to Stoic philosophy through um, Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, probably as many other people, you know, because he has a big audience and he writes, uh, in my opinion, great books. And so, and the book is based on the stoic idea from Marcus Aurelius, you know, what stands in the way becomes the way. So I was intrigued, you know, I thought, okay, so this is about stoic philosophy. And then after reading the book, I thought, and I know nothing about this philosophy. So I decided to dive deeper and uh, I ordered many books and read articles and stuff and tried to, you know, dig out the original sources, you know, from Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus and Rufus. And <clears throat> yeah, I I read a lot and I mean, yeah, it was Ryan Holiday who introduced me to this philosophy and then yeah, one thing led to another and yeah. Like one of the things that struck me was uh, at the start of your book, you were talking about how you you couldn't find like an all-encompassing book on on stoicism. That that despite the fact it was several thousand years old, that no one no one had put together just like a like a summary of it. Like, okay, perhaps that was just the very nature of of the Stoics and of like ancient Greece, Greek philosophers. What was that? You know, it had to all be in your head, and to write something down was almost cheating. Um, I really love that idea for that, that Plato was was horrified at the the you know the creation of of the written word almost mm-hmm. that that you shouldn't be like using books to write things down. But why do you think no one had, had done that for 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 Stoicism? Um, I mean, I think there are a couple of books out there who probably tried to do it and did it in their way. Um, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness by Donald Robertson, I think, is a great book and was a good resource for me 
and I learned a lot about Stoic philosophy and also William Irvine's Guide to the Good Life. I think they tried to put Stoicism into a book. And I did it because it wasn't enough for me because I thought I, I need to get an overview really and I, I think it was because I was talking to friends and they asked me, so you're reading all this stuff about Stoic philosophy, so what is it all about? And I, I really struggled explaining you know, Stoic philosophy in a simple way and, and also understanding it for, for me, you know. So I tried to break it down and make it simple and try to come up with this overview of this wonderful philosophy. And well, yeah, I just tried to make it even simpler than these guys did. And I don't know why they didn't do it, you know, 2000 years ago. Maybe they did actually, because I think many texts were lost, you know, during that time. And because, I mean, they taught Stoicism in their schools. So they must have known what it's all about. And yeah, what you said about the Plato, I think it's really interesting because and what I understand is that you, you cannot put um, reality into a word because then it's then you focus too much on the word and it loses kind of, you know, its connection to reality because you just have the word and you, yeah, it's not the truth, basically, I would say. As if you, when you give a, a bird a name, that's a sparrow and then you don't, maybe you don't look at the bird anymore. Just you, you name it and that's it. I've never thought of it like that. But you, you also mentioned in your book that, that you um, initially began by, uh, by writing like an article, like a lot, like a really long, like all encompassing article or so. That was your like first attempt at trying to, trying to codify it. <laughs> and then you talked about how someone had been stolen that article and, and, and tried to like, what was that like? Like see, seeing that you put all this work in and all of a sudden it was, it was, it was being like used by someone else's and putting their name on it. Like what was that experience like? It was a great test of my stoic philosophy in a way, because <laughs> I did my research for the book. So I, you know, looked at different Kindle books and I found this one and thought, and you can always, you know, look into the book. I thought, I know these thing, things, um, and then I bought it, <laughs> and I realized it's, that's my article. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating, but I learned that I think this happens thousands of times, you know, to people, and I think it's okay. Because I, I look at, you know, stoicism as a helpful way for people, you know, to, to live their lives, or it's, these are helpful tools for people and I try to, you know, look at it, you know, the more people learn about it and the better. So, I, th you know, it was first, it was really hard, but then I thought it's going to happen in the future as well and that's fine. And I mean, theoretically, we all take ideas from others as well because when I talk to you, I mean, you say something and maybe I'm going to use it later without referencing to you back. And so, it, and also my book, I mean, most of the things are learned from others. And I mean, I try to, to say where I learned it from, but sometimes you, 
you forget or you don't remember and then yeah so it was a good test you know i got a bit frustrated and angry in the beginning but i quickly realized i need to practice uh, stoic philosophy and focus on the things i control and you know i was a bit disappointed as well from amazon who obviously didn't you know test this book or look at it or so i i thought it's that's a bit disappointing from amazon that they don't check where people have their books from basically did you attempt to like recoup some of the the money that this guy had made from your article or or have did he had did he take it down eventually or did you did you like get in touch and be like hey come on this is this is my book this is my article did was it did you have it take it down i, I wrote an email because i i bought his book and then uh, i think somewhere he had a you know a lead magnet so you can download it and then you they sent it by email and then I responded to that email and told him, you know, hey, your book is from my article or it's 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 exactly the same. So I asked him to take it down. And I I don't remember whether he responded. I th- I just thought it's all I can do. And I think in the beginning I also, you know, texted Amazon. But yeah, they just said they can't do nothing. Jeff Bezos didn't step in personally. No. <laughs> Maybe this is a good time to 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 def- like uh, get you to define what stoicism is. In uh, obviously, people go buy a, a little book of stoicism. But in say you had to give a, an elevator pitch, like sixty seconds or a few minutes, just what is stoicism and what does it mean to you? I would try to do it with the stoic happiness triangle I created for the book because I, that was the exact idea, you know, to break stoicism down. So you have a triangle, obviously, and at the center of the triangle, you have uh, the goal of life or the, what the stoics thought or for them was the goal of life and they called it eudaimonia. It's a Greek word and it means being, you know, good with your highest self, whatever that highest self is. And maybe it's your soul or for some it's just, you know, your ideal version of yourself, or I don't know. But basically, you want to live a good life. It's what we all want. We want to be happy, and we want to have good relationships, and we want to flourish in life. So that's the goal. And how can you get there? So they have uh, another Greek word, arete, which basically is about expressing your best self in every moment. So you need to be aware in the situation, and try to, to express your best self. Uh, one strategy um, that's helpful to do that, then is the second corner of the triangle would be to make the best use of what's in your power and take the rest as it happens. So it's you focus on the things you control and try your best to accept what you can't control. And yeah, it's a bit, that's a simple idea, but it's obviously not so easy because we don't control many things in life. If, we just have our actions and maybe opinions or thoughts that we can control to a certain degree. And the last corner would be take responsibility. And that's sort of twofold because the Stoics said for the good life, it's enough to try your best in every moment, try to express your best. That's enough to live the good life. And also take responsibility for your how you 
respond to the situations you face in life. So you have many things that happen to you, you don't control that, you know, about the second corner. So, and then you try to take responsibility in the way how you respond to this situation. So something happens to you, uh, for example, the, the COVID-19 lockdown, uh, you can't control that, but then you're, you're asked by life, basically. And so how do you respond to, to this situation? And you, if you take responsibility, a response ability, so you're able to respond to this challenging situation always. And we, we want or we must take responsibility always or we should try to take responsibility always in our lives and try to make the best given the circumstances it's it's funny that i find that the more the more i read about about stoicism and the more i think about it that there's a lot of people who i would have read or listened to or or respected that that really embodied like some of the ideas of stoicism without necessarily labeling it as stoicism um, for example, last year I read Jordan Peterson's book, uh, The 12 Rules for Life. And a lot of that book is about standing up and, and like taking responsibility for your actions and, and, and saying, okay, I'm, I, am the re- I am the person who is going to make whatever happens to me. It's not going to be something that someone else that, that, that ma- like makes my future. Um, and, and the more I think about it, the more I realize it's like, oh, that's why, like, it's funny that that resonated with me, but I didn't quite put it like as, as stoicism because it wasn't maybe mentioned as, as such or, or labeled like that. Um, and then uh, you mentioned about the, the pandemic has obviously been a, a testing time for, for a lot of people. Um, I find it to be both one of the m- most frustrating and most transformative times of my whole life um, in, in a really paradoxical way. Um, Tim Ferriss and, and Ryan, Ryan Holiday actually had a, a really great conversation about how, how to make the pandemic like the, the best or most productive time that you can possibly do and about like taking responsibility over, okay, I can control what's going on now. It's the, the pandemic is the pandemic. Um, the lockdown is the lockdown. You can write about it. You can, you can complain about it. You can, you know, argue whether it's necessary, but you can't physically like change the fact that you're probably gonna get fined or arrested or you were anyway in in some countries for not adhering to the rules Uh, did it change the way you like practiced stoicism or the way you thought about things or did did you find it a challenge um to to have to like confront that um it just made it clearer to me uh, the lockdown that stoicism is a val- or there are valuable tools in stoic philosophy and they're most valuable when it's challenging so the lockdown just gave me you know this clarity that yes stoicism can be helpful and i mean i've been practicing for a couple of years but i realized you know it's been tremendously helpful in these situations as well you know to I mean, you said they talked about Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday about making the best of it. And that's a lot about reframing how you look at the situation. And so you can obviously see the bad stuff. But if you change the frame, maybe you, you find a, a better angle to, to find the positive in this uh, challenging situation. And I feel like I do this 
in many ways automatically, you know, because you, I, I don't know, you just, it's become ingrained somehow that you, you will look for the positive and almost magically you see what's good about it. And yeah, plus, I mean, I've learned not to, you know, despair, not to, you know, um, complain too much about stuff out of your control. It doesn't make much sense. If you can't change it, sure, then try to change it. But yeah, it's reality. It already is as it is and doesn't make sense to, to fight with the reality. I think uh, Epictetus said, fighting with reality is fighting with the gods. So um, I think that's right. Whether you call it God, God or gods or the universe, doesn't matter. But uh, So for me, it just showed that stoicism can be really helpful. You know? And I personally wasn't so much affected by the lockdown um, because I work from home mainly. So it was, for me, it was okay. It gave me actually some some extra time because I didn't have to or I couldn't meet with friends. So I just had more time for myself, which I, you know, enjoyed. You know, I read more and I went for more walks and I just spent more time in solitude, which I find uh, helpful, valuable, you know, to be just with yourself. So, yeah. Again, stoicism can be helpful in these challenging situations. Was there any moment you find yourself getting like real frustrated about anything, or were you real very, very zen about the whole thing? I got a bit frustrated, or I just asked questions because I thought we don't know so much about this virus, and I what was frustrating and maybe still is frustrating is that you don't really know what is the truth because you get different information from different sources and things change so quickly you know in the big beginning they said masks are useless or some said masks are useless and now we we have to wear masks in switzerland just or just in public transport but in different countries you have to wear masks always when you're in a closed room with other people so I would say that is still a bit frustrating that there's something out there that's, you know, affecting so many lives or the whole world, basically. And yeah, it's hard to get a, an overview of what's the truth and what's, what's right and what's wrong about, you know, the information we get. And yeah, that I find challenging. That was definitely frustrating for me as well. I mean, one of the... <laughs> The frustrating things I'm finding, especially at the moment, is I discovered last week that they had found um, uh, samples of, of uh, COVID-19 in, in the water in parts of, uh, I think it was Italy and in Paris. And there was um, someone who, who had been ill in November of last year and they had gone back and tested samples they'd taken then from him. And he was positive with coronavirus in November of last year which means it was around for, for at least three, four months in Europe before anything happened um, in terms of the lockdown. Um, so I get slightly like, frustrated when people talk about going back into lockdown because yeah, 
anyway, I don't want to talk about coronavirus all day because, yeah, <laughs> I'd much rather talk about stoicism. <laughs> so do you, do you find, that, do you know like a real life stoic sage? And so in the book, you, you talk about um, finding, you know, you have to imagine the, the most ideal person, like the stoic sage, there's always um, expressing like the best version of themselves is always in eudaimonia. Uh, do you know someone that you consider to be that person or someone that comes close there in, in real life or even just like a, like a celebrity or author or someone that you like hold up as, as someone like that? Um, I mean, the Stoics use the sage as an ideal. And I think they said, you know, there are no sages around as human beings. And, you know, uh, I think you can look uh, around and you, you won't find, you know, the people or people who have no struggles. But who comes to mind is this woman, um, yeah, who struggles herself, obviously, but she came into my life at the, wrong, at the right time. And because I worked in a school for um, mentally handicapped children and she was a teacher there. And for me, she's been tremendously helpful and she's an impressive woman. And for me, she just was right, or she's still she's right. I, I look up to her and I can learn a lot from her. But it's not that she's much, much further than other people. I think that's just for me, this person resonates. And maybe we all find our own, you know, people we can look up to. And with her, it's her energy and she vibrates this positive energy when she comes into the room and it's you know we you work with uh, you know challenging kids i'd say and she's always she always knows it's going to be all right you you can feel this positive attitude it's no not it's not going to work she's she's always sure somehow it's going to work out even if the, the kids are really challenging at this time for whatever reason and you know, you learn to read with these kids or to, you know, do mathematics. And sometimes they don't really want to or they don't feel like it, just as it's for us as well, you know. And she somehow managed always, you know, to get, you know, to work with the kid. And somehow it always worked out. And uh, yeah, so I believe, you know, life or the universe will bring the people into your life that they're helpful um, at this stage where you are in life and for me that was this woman and different people and you know there were many young people at this school and they looked at this woman in a different way than than i did or i still do so you always get the people that are right for you at this time or wherever you're standing in life. And it's, I wouldn't say there's a one person or one sage I really look up to, but I want to learn from people. And I mean, we are all just growing, you know, in life and we don't know how to live our lives uh, perfectly. So, it, you know, as a child, you, you grow up and you, you think your parents know everything. And uh, at a certain point you realize no, they just struggling as much uh, as everybody else. 
adult doesn't mean anything. They have a bit more experience, but they don't know how to live life or they're not masters at the art of living, basically. So we all continuously learn and grow and you get these people that help you get to the next level in a way. Do you, do you think that that's the, the universe giving you the people that you want need at the right time? Or do you think that's just your stoic philosophy telling you that, you know, you've just made the best and you've gone, well, you know what, this, this person was so influential and you go, you know, that must have, you know, that was meant to be as such because I, know, I, had, a, I had a similar experience with, with someone who, who comes to mind as like, you know, someone I really hold up as a, someone that inspires me to like live the best version of, of, of my life. Um, it was this, uh, this woman I work with in, in winter now, uh, she, I, I feel like I've known her my whole life, but it's been, it's been less than three years since I met her. Um, and it's such like a random friendship. Like I'm this 26 year old guy from, from Ireland and she's this 47 year old Dutch woman. who's just a powerhouse of life. <laughs> um, and I, I met her because I ended up going to, to Austria after, um, I'd had this, like, I'd, I'd been with this girl for three years and we had this breakup and I really felt like it had broken me. Like all, all of the like future possibilities in my life had just been like thrown out the window and I did not, not know what to do. And then within weeks, um, I was out in Austria and I met this woman who's become like one of my best friends. Uh, so I, if to me, it does feel like, like it was meant to be, but do you think that's just like our minds making the best of it? Or do you really think that the universe is giving us what, what we need? I do believe the universe is giving us uh, what we need. Yeah. But I mean, how do you want to prove it? Right. I mean, <laughs> it, maybe it's both, you know, our minds understanding that this person is helpful right now, but yeah, I do believe the, you know, our life will take these turns that help us grow, you know, because we're here for some reason. I don't know what's the reason maybe, or maybe it changes, you know, with time or we just here to grow in consciousness or, and make this experience here on earth and i would say uh, it's no accident you you meet you know the people uh you meet sometimes maybe it's challenging people you know but also the challenging people they help you grow they they make they maybe show you where you can you know learn some new skill maybe you learn that you're not so patient with people or you get frustrated easily or i mean for me i i you know i get people i well, where i not as patient as i would like to be is with people who talk you know i, I wouldn't say too much but they talk a lot without um looking yeah for their um for the other people, you know, who might want to say something as well, or who are not even interested, or, or you know, and often they, in my view, they don't listen, so they just talk and never stop, and maybe they ask question, but then you cannot even um, finish your first sentence, you know, and they're already talking. And <laughs> for me, I, I'm, I think I've had or still have these people in my life because it's a skill or it's somewhere I can grow, you know, in patience with these people who 
who might are not the best listeners or maybe it's showing me that I can become a better listener or I think it's both kind of people you know people you look up to and the people you you're not uh, fond of uh, are or can be really helpful well that is very stoic it's about you know what you make of people as well as what you make of events you can't control other people as much as you can control other events exactly um, um, you, people would probably some people would maybe argue with the the idea that you can't control people but no, everyone is their own their own person like you, you can you can try and push them in a certain direction but but ultimately like they're gonna yeah. gonna do what they want <laughs> that would that's mani manipulative i mean we always i think we manipulate people whether we, we really want to or not but we can you can do more or less manipulation i think well, i mean i when i'm podcasting i have to manipulate where i want the conversation to go but <laughs> yeah. sure, sure. Um, so um at the start of your book you talk about how you finished school and you went you went traveling and you thought okay this is my opportunity to you know, go and find myself because that's like a real like travel cliche or you know, it may be true, but it's definitely something that you hear a lot from people that, like, you know, they're going to go, oh, we're going, I'm going to go travel. You know, I need, I need to find myself. I need to, I need to go and discover who I am by just getting on a plane. <laughs> and, and, and you discovered, you said that you discovered that, that that wasn't really the case for you, that you, you, you didn't find like that, those, those answers or the feeling or, or that you were looking for in that. Um, like why do you think that it is that people believe that that by leaving the country that they will discover who they are <laughs> i don't know maybe we've learned it in our society or i mean for me it was just getting away you know and i wanted to read the things i'm interested in and i i was you know studying before and going to school before and you always need to read the books for school, basically, or for university. And I, I just thought, yeah, I want to be free. And, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to become after university. And uh, so I studied uh, sports science and English languages and literature. And so because I wanted to become a teacher at some point and yeah after my studies i didn't want to become a teacher <laughs> so i thought traveling is going to help me you know find out what i want from life or who i want to be and it did magically help me you know know what i want from life and so maybe at this point yeah maybe it was disappointing you know when you go try to to learn what you really want from life but I mean, looking back, it was a helpful time, you know, and I, th I do believe, you know, if you travel, you know, if you travel alone, like I did, you, you spend more time with yourself alone, which is always helpful because when you grow up or, or if you just live your life at home, you have so many sources of distractions you know you watch tv or today netflix and you have a computer and your cell phone and when i left switzerland i you know i just brought my cell phone and i didn't have you know internet available 
just the Wi-Fi. So I, you know, I try to be alone and, and you know, journal and read. And, you know, looking back, it was a helpful seven months. And I do believe it can be really helpful. But, yeah, you can find yourself anywhere. You don't need to, yeah, hop on a plane or, you know, go to Australia or somewhere. But I think if it feels right, go and travel. If you want to stay at home, stay at home. I mean, yeah, I would say both is right. Yeah, you can. I mean, it, it could be a, a factor of taking yourself out of your out of your comfort zone and and really having been forced to just put yourself in situations you haven't and, and watch how re, how you react and that's 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 perhaps the the thing that that you know people find that that's their they're finding themselves is that they that it's no longer a routine like you're, you have to confront decisions that you maybe would have never had to and then you, you have to like think about your own thought process and um the why do you think the the solitude part is is so important? Because we're never alone with ourselves, and yeah, that's I think we should. Or if you are alone with yourself more frequent frequently, you learn to. Um, you, you learn that there are thoughts in your mind all the time, and you learn about your emotions and feelings. And if you distract yourself all the time you you might not realize this and and you know if you sit at home yourself uh, and you're alone and mean thoughts come up you might just you know flick on the tv and but if you're somewhere else you know in i don't know and you cannot distract yourself you have to to be with yourself and learn about your thoughts and emotions and i think it's a helpful, you know, challenge to be alone with yourself and your thoughts. And you learn a lot about yourself and you learn about, you know, learned behaviors, for example. And I think if you want to grow, that's important to understand why you do things or why you don't feel like doing something. So you can make yourself or learn how to, to do something you don't want to do and Maybe stop doing something you always do, but maybe you shouldn't do. Did you have an example of that that, that you find when you when you were um, on your travels? You find that there was habits or, or something you'd picked up or at home, or you just thought were were normal, or just something you'd done your whole life. And then when you came to being away, you thought, okay, now I got to change that. Was there something specific that you can remember? Maybe that I tried to. Or as a child, I was kind of the teacher. Uh, we were four brothers and they always, you know, nagged me that I'm the teacher. I tried to tell my brothers, you know, what to do or what is right and wrong. And But as a child, you don't realize, and I didn't realize for a long time, but maybe on this travel, I realized that it doesn't need to be my way. You know, this is just my opinion. Another person has an opinion another opinion which is also true you know it's what i think is true is true but what you think is true is in a way also true so maybe i learned you know to be more flexible and tolerant towards others and their 
you know how to how to do something you know yeah maybe maybe that and you know getting more patient because i traveled with the french guys through new zealand and <laughs> they were challenging for me and i why <laughs> it's you travel with people you haven't known before and you know everybody has an idea of what to do and how to do and when to do it and and because i was swiss and there were three and later four french people and maybe there was a difference in culture so they agreed on something and i would have done something else that was challenging you know being in minority plus um you know i i saved quite a lot or i saved a long time for this trip and you know in new zealand you get chances to do many cool activities and um they the french guys didn't have any money like at all so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i didn't get to do those things I, i thought would have been fun you know river rafting or something like this for me it would be awesome you know because i love the border and but they didn't have the money and i didn't want to you know invite them because i didn't have so much money <laughs> yeah it was just different things that challenged me and i would say it was you know patience and you know tolerance that i learned most from from to traveling so w why do you think is it that the that philosophy that was that's now two two and a half thousand years old is is so applicable to our 21st century lives because the amount of times even like i'm guilty of it in my book i talk about how rapidly our culture and our world is changing and how you know the challenges of social media and and of just like this constant interconnectedness and the, the 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 shrinking of the entire world are meaning that in in every aspect of life we have to challenge or we're, we're being challenged with things that that no humans have ever had to deal with like, ever the the difference between like my experience from uh, to uh, up to my life point um, in my life at, at 26 is so different from from my grandparents and even my parents just just 20 or 30 years ago and and yet this this philosophy just still seems so applicable to 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 21st century life like it, in, in in fact i almost feel like it's it's more so that it because it's about like taking taking time out and and, and realizing like you said about solitude and finding um, how you want to live like the best version of your life and that could be so difficult with social media just constantly bombarding you you just like you said you you're never bored or you never you're never more than a few feet away from a distraction now uh, and yet yet yeah, so th this philosophy is 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 almost teaching us uh, to 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 reject those distractions why do you think it's so still so applicable in in our modern lives well <clears throat> the lifestyles have changed a lot but You know the the battles are still fought between our ears it's a, a mind battle if if you want and maybe it's as you said it's even more relevant today than it was 2000 years ago because um 
at least in the Western world, we have more freedom to think about life because, you know, survival is given and maybe we, yeah, we have different questions we ask ourselves because now it's about happiness in a way. And yeah, you can say the Stoic said it was about that too. 2000 years ago, but it was also a lot about survival. And when you're fighting for survival, you don't get to think so much about being happy. And now today we want to be happy as well in the Western world, at least. And I think it's, yeah, you're right. It's more relevant today because this, or the mind hasn't changed so much. I mean, maybe we're more, um, conscious or people are more conscious than 2000 years ago i would say what do you mean by conscious um aware that we, we more i would say we just i would say the humans uh we develop over thousands of years in consciousness we or we grow in consciousness just the, the human consciousness grows and we yeah we have less wars for example and we are we look more to each other even if it's yeah not true all over the world, obviously, but probably it's become better. So I would say we are more awake uh, than 2000 years ago, but it's obviously impossible to say because I <laughs> couldn't remember that I lived uh, during that time. Why do you think that is? Do you well, think that we, there's like a, a genuine like growth of, of human consciousness? Or do you think we're just exposed to like more ideas and more people and the, the fact that we can like see all around the world? Do you think that has, has helped it? Or do you think it, it really is like a, a, the humanity has, has grown as like an, an entire species in consciousness? I think it's both. Um, I would say one reason is culture. You know, you, you learn from your parents you know, and parents learn from their parents. Plus, you, you learn from basically the wisest people on earth or who have ever lived. I mean, we read books now from Marcus Aurelius, who was probably a very, very wise person. And, yeah, you know, Benjamin Franklin, who was a wise person. And modern people who seem to be very smart. And we can learn from all these people from the smartest people from all over the world. So I do believe that makes a big, or that is a big aspect why we grow in consciousness because, yeah, we have more sources. I mean, 2000 years ago, you lived in a town and you basically probably stayed in that town and you had maybe 100, 200 people in your life. And today you have, you, or more people are available, let's say it this way. I mean, I wrote the book and people from all over the world can read that book if they choose to do so. And that wasn't, you know, thinkable maybe 200 years ago, even 100 years ago. So I think these are aspects plus yeah, the culture that you pass on, the wisdom. And maybe it's just, you know, time uh, in the universe. It's, everything is always moving. And always changing, and it's hard to say, but I do believe people grow in consciousness more and more. And probably I believe so because I've read it <laughs> somewhere. And uh, yeah, 
So you're saying that we have so many sources of, of so much wisdom from the whole of human history that we can now, they've been almost absorbed into our like cultural zeitgeist that it's just almost common knowledge, some of this wisdom at, at this point, and it's there at the fingertips of, of anyone that wants to get it. Yes, yes. Um, especially, I would say, if you read spiritual books, that's, for me, it's been really helpful, you know, to... I mean, when I read Eckhart Tolle, I learned about, you know, me not being my thoughts and, you know, observing yourself and observing your thoughts. And maybe without the book, I wouldn't have learned it, you know, or realized it so clearly. So, yeah, depending on what you read, I think it can be really helpful for you to grow. I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, I've been thinking about something that I, uh, Tim Ferriss says um, and that I believe it was something that Seneca uh, was a proponent of, was not reading too much. Uh, do you think that the, the, that is a, a real thing to be concerned about? Like you don't want to consume too many ideas? Because uh, I, I guess their, their point is that you, you should focus on, on what, is, what is crucial. Like Tim Ferriss is all about uh, the, the 80-20 rule where you know 80% of your productivity or your output or the 80% of the gains you will get from anything come in 20% of the time. And his entire life seems to just be focused on finding that 20%. Like, do you buy into that concept where you shouldn't be you know, exp exploring too many ideas because it will clutter your mind? Maybe not because it will clutter your mind, but because you won't put it into practice. Um, that's what we need to do if we want to grow. I mean, we have to try to do it and so we can experience it in our own lives and only this way we can get to know it. You know, if you read it, I would say you know about it, but you you don't know whether it's true for you, you know, if you don't put it into practice. And I mean, that was, you know, for me really important in, or it is important in Stoic philosophy that what I like about the Stoics is that they they really focus on putting their ideas into practice. As I said, we are no masters at the art of living and we can read as many books as we want. If, you, if we don't put it into practice, it's, it's useless and we'll forget about it and maybe we do the opposite. So yes, I, I do think we can read too much uh, or consume too much uh, information definitely and without putting it into practice because maybe it's more attractive you know to read and read and read because it's fascinating but you will forget about it and if you don't apply it yeah maybe it's almost useless okay so i want to i want to ask you about your your biohacking no i know i know i haven't totally planned on, on going there but i'm really curious like what is biohacking for for someone who's never heard of the term or what does it mean to you? And like, where did you come across it first? You said you were a, an English and, and sports science major. Was it something that you found while you were studying studying the, the sports science side of things? Or was it something that came, came to you later on? Um, maybe I found it in sports science, but with the term biohacking came definitely later on. I mean, it's about hacking your body, basically. And it's just something that fascinates um, 
my brother and me, we are both fascinated by, you know, um, trying to get the most out of yourself. Now, that is in different parts, you know, mind-wise, or, but also physically. So I would say it's about getting as much energy or yeah, as you can get, as healthy as you can get. So you would, you have a lot of energy throughout the day. You don't get sick or not as frequently. And you, yeah, you're just a healthy, flourishing human being. And I think you can do, I mean, stoicism is just, uh, would say about the mind, but there are at least two other parts as well, which are body and spirit. So it's, we try to, to do or to improve in all those, those aspects, you know, body is interesting. And for the body, we, you know, we're interested in nutrition, for example. So we, there was a couple of years ago, we, we had uh, this huge uh, pan of, or a pot of uh, vegetables almost every day. And when we tried the, the ketogenic diet, you know, with almost no carbs and we still eat uh, low carb and we tried to, you know, eat natural foods, you know, artificial foods, you know, all these things that, you know, have a long um, storage life. And yeah. They are probably not very good for you. <laughs> so yeah, we've, read many books on nutrition because it's just something that fascinates us and we haven't written about it on our blog because i don't know we had to or we believe we have to focus on you know a bit more narrow way at least in the beginning and so nutrition sleep highly important it's um we try to get a lot of sleep but also high quality sleep you know it's it's not the same thing, you know, quality and quantity. And then movement, you know, so nutrition, sleep and movement are the things we focused on. I mean, we work from home at the computer, but we try to have smart breaks, you know, go for walks and work out, you know, not every day, but maybe two or three times a day, a week, sorry. And, you know, get some movement and just go for a walk or now in summer we go for swims in the river and yeah we like you know playing football we like yeah playing tennis you know all these sports so we try to integrate those things into our lifestyle and so biohacking for us it's a it's something that's fascinating for us and you know we we have a couple of guys we have uh, ben greenfield and uh, dave asprey we'll look up to and so always when we uh, try to i don't know recover better or do something we read up what they have to say about it and or when we get the flu we try to find out what they have to say about the flu and how you can get rid of it quickly and how you maybe prevent it so yeah biohacking is about you know hacking your body so you get as much energy as possible i've got so many questions um <laughs> so 
It's interesting you mentioned like the, the fact that there's the, the mind, uh, the body, um, and the brain. So my, my, one of my best friends describes his, uh, his philosophy for, for, you know, that sort of thing is the, he's got his four pillars for life. So he's got, um, emotional, physical, um, spiritual and mental. So he, you know, you have to, you have to look after all four pillars and it's just how he, he expresses it. I really like that um, way of, of looking at it. Um, cause I don't actually think I've ever heard anyone like use that exact sort of terminology for it. So I really enjoy when he, when he talks about it um, I keep telling him to write a book on it, but, um, he tells me just cause I wrote one, not everyone has to, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you were t- talking about like the connection between, you know, the, the mental and, and, and physical aspects of, so. Richard Branson, I think it was, said, someone asked him how he becomes more productive. And he said, I work out. And there's the, that, the connection really like, I was like, yeah. And I, I've really started to try and try, do some research into, into this at the moment. But the, the first thing I got to ask is, is the sleep. So I have been, um, during lockdown, um, anyway, I was, I was uh, being driven crazy by the fact that I had no time by myself. Because after my, my ski season, I normally come back and I don't want to talk to anyone for about two weeks because I have done nothing but just be from the moment I wake to the moment I go to sleep, I'm on as such. And I have to like interact with people and I come down and then my boss is there and, and you know, then we're organizing things for what right, we're talking about last night and then we're organizing things for this night. And then I go up the mountain, I'm talking to people. It's a little resort. I'm always seeing people and talking and I love that. But when I'm done, then I'm like done. So when I went home, I was um, living with uh, two friends of mine and I just was becoming crazy. It wasn't that they were doing anything wrong. I was just like, I just need some space. You know, I just want to, to not have anyone around for a little while. And so I, I was looking up, um, I started like going to bed earlier and earlier so I could wake up earlier. <laughs> and then I came across some some people talking about the different types of sleep cycles that, that people have experimented with and the idea that humans didn't used to sleep for eight hours straight through or eight and a half or seven and a half hours, that it was two distinct um, like sections, that it would be four and a half hours or four hours plus waking up and then, and then going again for another little bit of sleep. Um, so I started ex- experimenting with, uh, the I think it was called the Everyman One. So it was like six hours of sleep at night and then a 30 or 40 minute nap in the afternoon, uh, have you have you come across these, these, this like idea of different um, polyphasic and biphasic sleep cycles before? And, and you know, what was your thoughts on it? Have you experimented with it? Yeah, I experiment just with you know taking naps, you know, after uh, afternoon, after lunch. Um, yeah, I read about these things, you know, um, you know, read some sleep. I don't know, just one and a half hours and you know take uh then they awake and they sleep again and they sleep you know in in short uh terms or short naps almost uh throughout the day which i i've never tried it and i don't think it's practical <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's uh, for me i look i try to look at nature and it's dark at night so i wouldn't know what to do else but sleep i mean throughout the night but i read that you know in uh, for example maasai culture or these you know indigenous people they 
or what's natural is they sleep maybe bef- they start sleeping before midnight and then you wake up i know at one or two and maybe you're awake for an hour or so mm-hmm. and the, it, that's like um meditative um i don't know sleep it's not sleep but you you're awake but you don't do anything you're just with yourself and you're relaxing and i read that they sleep this way i don't know whether it's true or not so it helped me you know when i wake up during the night it helped me take it easy you know it's no big deal maybe it's natural you know to wake up during the night you just you know stay in bed and be with yourself and so that yeah i think it's interesting yeah the sleep and uh, experimenting with the sleep and a couple of years ago i i had this um routine where i would write down you know i would try to um measure my quality of the sleep i used a sleep cycle at that time mm-hmm. it's an app yeah i think i well i i i was using it every night i'm not at the minute just because i'm on holiday it's a little more difficult yeah. but so i tried to write down all the things i thought were important for the sleep you know exercise uh, last coffee the last meal plus what i ate for the last meal um so i would just write down these things and then measure the quality of the sleep and after a while you know try to look at it but it was i think it was helpful you know to be more aware of what you do that could interrupt your sleep but it wasn't you know it's very scientific <laughs> to yeah to get to know what affects your sleep but i think you do it if you if you're aware and if you reflect before you go to to bed and if you ask yourself what did you do that could affect the sleep you will figure out a couple of things maybe that late night meal isn't helpful coffee isn't helpful and intensive training isn't helpful intensive training isn't helpful depending on the time yeah if it's too close to bedtime i think it's because of your body temperature which is then too high uh, it won't help you sleep well maybe you fall asleep quickly but the quality of the sleep is not too well that's what i i heard so when you have intensive training i think timing is important yeah and there are many things uh, which are important you know for for the sleep also you know the you know the bedroom should be uh, pitch dark and pretty cool not too too warm and yeah the you know the bed there are different things you know some say very hard mattress some say soft is well as well uh, yeah i i've used or i've been using pretty hard mattress and uh, actually i also you know for stoicism they have this idea of voluntary discomfort you know so i slept on the floor you know once a week or twice a week uh, for a couple of months on a yoga mat and i measured that um the deep or i i was like i had more deep sleep but almost no REM sleep okay Be- and probably it's because i 
because it wasn't very comfortable. When I was in uh, light sleep, I would wake up uh, instead of going to REM sleep. But I, I don't know, but I had very low um, pulse, you know, lower than in my bed, which was interesting. And yeah, I think yeah, you can experiment with yourself and whether you measure it or not, maybe it might not be too important, but being aware of what you do and when you do it is helpful. And also what I've been doing is um, using an app called Snore Lab, which measures your snoring, which um, I think it was a woman who told me that I snore and I was like, oh, probably that's not, you know, you don't want to snore. Or nobody wants to snore because it's, yeah, it's just uh, for other people, it's annoying and you maybe you're ashamed. Plus, plus you think maybe it's not the best sleep you get when you snore. So I tried to experiment with that. Um, and this app was really helpful, you know, because it shows you how much you snored or didn't snore. And you can try different things and some help more than others. And worse probably is drinking. Drinking alcohol before you go to sleep, that was pretty bad for me with the snoring and yeah, different things you can do, your position, uh, uh, try to sleep on my side, which uh, is the best for not snoring, for me at least. Hmm. So yeah, it, you, I just try different things and try to get the best sleep possible. I mean, I guess it's uh, when I... I feel like when you get down to, to really specific things like that, it becomes very much, you have to figure out what's right for you. Uh, I'm reading a book at the moment called The, the Organized Mind um, by Daniel Levitan or Levitan, or I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. But uh, he was talking about, there's a whole chapter dedicated to organizing like your own medical treatment. And not so much that, that he's like doing all his research himself. It's just about... If you go in and a doctor says, this is what we're recommending, he, he says, you know, okay, the, a lot of people can get stressed out about or not like that the doctor is just telling you and not explaining and he encourages you to go in with lots of questions and, and try and get him to, 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 to find like a treatment that's for you and not specifically for everyone. Um, and he was talking about some, some experiments that, that were run about uh, different alternative medicines um, because he was talking about how yeah, alternative medicine is just medicine that, that no one has evidence that it works yet or, or will ever work. Yeah. Um, but that some little tiny things like, like vitamin D tablets or um, just like little like things that people claim to be helpful is just almost random in how it affects each individual person. Uh, that there's no like broad trend and even for uh, lots of like accepted medicines that there is no like universal this is what this does kind of thing and that's why obviously side effects vary dependent on different people um, and I just I, I find it very very much that you've got to discover like what works for you um, but that's interesting that you you had like better sleep or well more deep sleep but less REM sleep on the floor Um it's pretty like it's 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 it's, a, it's crazy how because you you would imagine that things like that don't get that affected by you know the, how comfy your mattress is. You just imagine you're like okay, you're sleeping, you're sleeping. But um, the other thing I want to ask you, 
was about about nutrition and uh, you said you've, you've read a lot and, and I found that before this year especially that anytime I was reading about diet or nutrition or supplements or, or anything that the the, there's so much information out there and so many people trying to claim that they have the answer. Um, did, what are the, what would you say are like the biggest like common misconceptions and maybe the easiest things or the most simple things that you can do to be like live a healthier life based on your research anyway? So I would say fasting is the best thing you can do. For your health and so you can do intermittent fasting so that, that's what we've been doing for years you know we just skip breakfast but on some days when we need extra energy we have a and when i say we i'm talking about my brother nielsen me we we live we're living together so we have on these days we have a bulletproof coffee it's um you know coffee with uh, butter and you know c8 oil you can use mct oil as well and sometimes we add uh, collagen which is an important protein it's good for your uh, skin and uh, you know bones and i think it's really important or it's healthy uh, protein so we add that to the coffee so i so i would say fasting and you can do, you know, classic 16-8, you know, you you fast for 16 hours and eat for 8 hours. And maybe if it's challenging, you start with 12-12, uh, which is already good. Or, and then you go to 10 hours of uh, eating window. And what people often miss or how they mess it up is with the late time, you know, for example, when in the morning they add sugar or milk to the coffee, so that's not really fasting anymore. Or at night they have some late night snacking, and yeah, for the, just for our you know digestive system and the gut, it's healthy not to have a long break uh, between meals or at least yeah, once uh, every day. Uh, we do longer fasts as well, you know. 24, 48 hours, 72 hours. Really? Sometimes, yeah. Not on a, you know, maybe. No, no, not on a yeah. So this year we did a five day water fast, which was really interesting because yeah, it's, it's so easy when you're used to fasting, at least, you know. So, and it, you know, you get, or here's what happened with me is I got, hungry you know on the first day plus i had a slight headache which is probably because i didn't drink uh, any coffee or didn't have the caffeine and then you just yeah i would say i was a bit lower energy but very stable throughout the day and yeah we went for many walks and on last day on friday i went to the gym and worked out and surprisingly I had I used the same weights as normally and it wasn't a problem at After a all. five day fast. Yes. And so it it's 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 interesting, you know, people believe or I used to believe you need to eat three times a day. 
uh, which is something we learn or I don't know. And also, you know, people who go to the gym, I often, because I work um, in the gym, you know, maybe six or seven hours a week only. And I often tell people, try some fasting because they, they want to become leaner, for example. And then they're afraid of losing, you know, uh, muscle tissue. And they believe they need to eat a lot and a lot. But it turns out that's not really true. Um, maybe it's not the same for everybody, but... So why is it that fasting is, is good for you? Like, what is it that... Yeah, well, what, what is the, like, the process that means... Uh, because... And one of the things you always hear when you're when you're a kid, I don't know, maybe it's different when you're when you're you know developing, but it's like you have to eat breakfast. Like breakfast, the most important meal of the day. And and okay, sometimes I, I need breakfast, sometimes I wake up and I'm fucking hungry. I'm like, okay, I need to eat something. I need like this morning. Um, I was like, hilariously, maybe this complete misconception, but I was like, right, okay, I want to have, I want to do a good podcast, so I want to have loads of energy, like this, have real good breakfast, and I'm like. I'll be ready for it, you know. I'll have. But what what is it that about fasting that, that like biologically is is good for you? Um, so with the fat, with the skipping breakfast, I would say for me that's you know best uh, productivity tool there is because you don't spend time preparing breakfast. Plus, you have more or clearer energy, and you or I'm very clear in. The, in the head, you know, when I skip breakfast and have this uh, coffee or bulletproof coffee because I'm not digesting. But why is it that fasting is so good for you? I'm the wrong person to ask. I mean, we've read countless books, but um, yeah, as I've never written about it, just put it into practice. In my own life, I... I uh, can't really answer this question. Um, I know it's good, or I believe it's good, because I've read it, and because I believe I've or we've done together the research, and it's pretty clear that fasting or intermittent fasting is good for you. But what are the you know specific you know things that happen in your gut and digestive uh, um, system, like? I can't really say. Okay, well, you, so you're just referring to people with more, more knowledge. Than yes, that. definitely. Uh, yeah. So, what 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 would you say are some simple things that people could do to to just be more healthy? Um, oh, we talked about sleep. So, for a couple of years, uh, we've been wearing you know orange tint glasses, like at least an hour before we go to bed, when we're at home. And that's because blue light somehow, uh, when you're yeah, living, uh, we all have blue lights here everywhere. And in the evening, somehow blue light blocks melatonin, uh, either production or just that you get it. And melatonin is the, I would say, sleep well hormone that mm -hmm. uh, helps you sleep well. So you have less melatonin when you're you know, in bright light before you go to bed. And so we dim our lights and we use this, these glasses, very cheap, ugly glasses, but they are really helpful, I must say. So that's a, a simple thing you can do. 
that is we have uvex orange tinted glasses i think they were about 10 bucks or so and you can fast you can make sure your room where you sleep or your bedroom is um, dark and cool um, try to move even if you like uh, my brother and me we work basically in an office so we sit a lot and that's not very good but if you make smart breaks you know go for a walk or do some stretching routines or um yeah just manage to get some movement in so you don't sit for 60 minutes in the exact same position that's already helpful um yeah try not to eat you know sugary foods and maybe uh, vegetable oils you can skip them for good <laughs> they it's interesting vegetable oils they're they're not good for our health they have a good name you know vegetable oils but it's mostly not the seed oil and it wasn't around you know i don't know 100 years ago so you have better oils you know you have healthy fats like uh, coconut fat butter and uh, olive oil so you have good fats in your diet yeah, there are countless things you, you can do, but these are very simple, uh, or I would say simple measurements you can try to uh, incorporate in your life. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been able to whilst I've been away, but um, I normally take coconut oil in my coffee every morning, just like one teaspoon. And I, I don't know if it was placebo, but you know, I definitely felt it gave me more energy like through the day. Uh, you know, it could have been in in combination with um, the fact that I was doing more yoga or meditating, or it's very, very difficult to put like a, a finger on exactly what it is that's given you that energy sometimes when you're like changing a lot of things. Um, but uh, do you, do you take any supplements or, or like a multivitamin or cod liver oil or, or anything like that? Yeah, I think or most important, uh, I take as well are vitamin D3 combined with vitamin K or K2 and krill oil at night. Sometimes I uh, take melatonin just to, when I wasn't able to put on my glasses. So I supplement with melatonin, but that's very small dosage. At the moment I'm using, I think it's my community, um, immune support these are mushrooms by uh, paul stamets the mushroom freak uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mushroom the guy group. he's been on he's been on joe rogan talking about the mushrooms right I've, i haven't seen him on joe rogan but i've seen his ted talks and i've seen they have a uh, he created a fantastic movie i would like to recommend um, fantastic fungi or fungi and yeah it's very interesting uh, film so I take these supplements at the moment and I have a brain biotic or probiotic for the brain. I don't know which ones these are, but I think probiotics can be useful, but I usually don't have these supplements. Plus I use a supplement, uh, it's called Nutrafol. It says it's hair wellness, but I really like the, the mix of ingredients in this supplement. Plus, 
I'm happy not to lose my hair. So, <laughs> and I read or I listened to a podcast. I think it was Dave Asprey's, you know, Bulletproof podcast, where where they recommended this uh, supplement, and I tried it, and I think uh, yeah, it has many good things in this supplement. So I I'm happy to take this and not take too many other supplements. Mm -hmm. So vitamin D D3 K2 and krill oil, I would say most important. I count uh, collagen almost as a supplement. I think that's a good protein source, either in the morning or in the evening. Um, sometimes um, we have, um, you know, uh, L-theanine with uh, coffee, just that's to be more focused at work. Yeah, LTN and caffeine is a good combination for work. Um, I think, I mean, we have uh, many supplements, but that these are the ones I take uh, at the moment. It's interesting though when I asked about things you can change that the almost the all of the things you you mentioned were to do with sleep. Like, do you really think that's the most like crucial part of of living like a healthy life? Is is the quality of your sleep? Because, you know, for example, there's, there's, there's people that like they say, Margaret Thatcher, she was a prime minister of Britain used to survive on like three or four hours of sleep a night. And she was prime minister for 11 years. And I mean, she's a very controversial figure. Some people think she was like completely one of the best prime ministers Britain ever had. And some people would, would call her murderous, you know, <laughs> and, um, maybe not, not a very a very good person. I mean, there was, there were celebrations when she died, put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> so do, do you think sleep is like really one of the, the most crucial parts? Maybe it's because we talked about sleep. I think sleep is important, but yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, maybe for some it's because it's underrated. I, I feel it's underrated people. If they don't have enough time, they just sleep less. And, you know, I work with people who want to lose weight uh, or gain muscle mass. And for what I have read, I would say if you have not enough sleep, it's really hard to lose weight, for example, because uh, but you can, or I imagine, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, that naturally you would just sleep until you wake up or until the sunshine wakes you up. Or, so you would get probably m most certainly more sleep than you're getting right now when you're setting an alarm. So I can imagine, or I imagine that for our bodies, it's like um, stress. We're not getting enough sleep. So we maybe it's a stressful day or stressful situation. And if you have this over a long period of time, the body focuses on other things than losing weight. Maybe keeping on to fat tissue is maybe better for survival, right? Because uh, you can survive longer when you have, uh, um, you know, these energy sources in your body. So, yeah, I would say uh, sleep is really important that it's underrated, but there are many other things you can do. Okay, well, just to, 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 to bring us back to stoicism, then um, oh yeah do you think do you think stoicism should be taught in schools 
Or do you think it's something that people need to discover themselves to really appreciate? Well, maybe it could be taught uh, in schools. And, you know, it's maybe schools should change a bit anyway. They're not very modern, I'd say. And it's interesting, recently a, a, a woman wrote, and also, so I read it, uh, that if you would do what we do to young uh, children, you know, put them on the chair for 45 minutes and they shouldn't move for 45 minutes, if you would do the same thing to dogs, then we would have uh, animal rights activists, you know, complaining about, you know, how we treat these dogs. But we, <laughs> We do that with, with children who are as, you know, movement-loving creatures as dogs are. So maybe we should, before we add stoicism to our schools, we should maybe think about, you know, having a different school system. But yeah, I think it would be helpful, you know, because we, we don't learn these things at school, how to deal with your emotions when you or in the relationships, when you're struggling. Um, when you're struggling with yourself, you don't really learn these things in school. So stoicism would be one option to to offer them some tools they can use, you know, to deal better with their emotions and challenges. What would you say that are, if you had to give like a few stoic practices that everyone can just easily apply to their life, like immediately after, you know, listening to this fantastic podcast, um, what would it be? You know, is there is there something that springs to mind as to something that everyone can can almost apply immediately? Yes, there are many many uh, practices you can do. I mean, when you try to express your best self in every moment, you you need some awareness in the moment. So one tool I find really helpful to improve your um, everyday awareness is. Um, apart from meditation, is personal reflection. And the Stoics, they were big on reflection. Seneca has this, um, you know, section when he said that um, when his, uh, his wife felt silent and she was aware of his habit that he would reflect upon his actions that day. So when you just take five minutes before you go to bed, for example, and you ask yourself um, what went well that day, what did you do? Uh, well what could you do better and what do you have to do to you know express your best you reflect upon your actions and that's helpful to become more aware because when you do it for a couple of days in a row your mind will know during the day that you're going to ask yourself what what you did well during the day so you're more aware in the situation and then you can probably better respond in the way you find um, you want to respond so that's one simple practice personal reflection or writing a journal uh, one thing i do is you know the view from above and i do this when i'm overwhelmed you know in, in a with this maybe it's a problem or a challenge or i'm just a bit lost and i'm overwhelmed and i where I try to zoom out, you know, take the, the bird's eye view. And this often helps, you know, to to get a, another perspective on, on my problem or the challenge I, I'm facing right now. And this is, you know, it's like magic, I'd say. 
It's because you're aware, you zoom out, and then you're automatically a bit freed up and you don't take it too seriously. Uh, that's helpful. And maybe a practice you can do, you know, throughout the day is, um, I think in the book it's called Scratches Happen in Training. And I think Ryan Holiday has it in this book, The Daily Stoic, as well. And it's you look at life as you know training ground basically because you say nobody is a master of at the art of living nobody knows how to live you know perfectly well so we're all training you know, so in a way and the Stoics enjoyed you know boxing um, metaphors so they would say like when you're training with your sparring partner and the sparring partner hits you in the face it happens. It's just um, training. He didn't do it on purpose. So suddenly the stakes become much lower. And yeah, you're more forgiving. You're more tolerant and probably more compassionate as well because you know the other person is training who maybe hurt you and you are just training who you make mistakes as well. Everybody, we make mistakes and we're just in training and scratches happen. So if you have this attitude, you can be more forgiving towards others. I really enjoyed the, some of the, the warrior philosopher sort of like metaphors in the book. I, I really liked that. Um, I don't know why it was so, so useful, but that and the, the, the Hercules um, example, you know, Hercules wouldn't have been Hercules if he just turned over and went back to bed. You know, he needed the, the lion to, to slay and, and the, the hydra to kill. And I really, really enjoyed that. It made me look at some of the, the challenges that I was um, sort of facing very differently. Uh, do you journal in the morning or in the evening or, or both? Um, currently, I don't journal because I've had two months relaxing, basically. I didn't feel like doing too much. I was enjoying the summer and I met a lot of people now after the lockdown. So I kind of, yeah, I didn't journal or not that as frequently as I used to, but before I, I journaled in the evening for years and I would do different practices, you know, sometimes just gratitude journaling, sometimes the, the exercise I mentioned, good, better, best exercise where you ask what went well and what could you, you could do better. Sometimes I just, you know, did the journal entry, just uh, wrote about what I had in mind and wrote about uh, what's going on in my mind and that's all that's always helpful to me you know to write down these things you know when you have a person that might have been ir irritating and then you write it down and your emotions uh, you know uh, that accompany this irritation and then suddenly yeah something good co comes out of it and for a short time i um journaled in the morning as well uh, but I, I try to do a movement exercise, a movement routine in the morning. I do a couple of yoga exercises in the morning and that works better for me. And right now I, I read basically first thing in the morning. I, so I do this movement routine and then I read between 10 and 20 minutes. Um, I read right now I'm reading David R. Hawkins, Letting Go. Uh, it's a fascinating book, you know, about 
you know, dealing with your emotions or how to let go basically of some negative emotions and yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah just to, to to wrap up then like what are three um books maybe or ted talks or podcasts or just like three things that you would you would recommend um to someone on on that are about stoicism that uh this is purely my own interest the next things i want to go and look at after now having read your book <laughs> um so this a uh, book on stoicism I read most recently was um, by Donald Robertson, uh, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. You're going to learn a lot about uh, Marcus Aurelius and uh, stoicism. And I, th I really enjoyed this book. It was an interesting read. Um, then, yeah, William Irvine's A Guide to the Good Life, I find that. Uh, it's a really helpful book, you know, to get better understanding of stoic stoicism. And oh, and the I think last year or the beginning of the year, I read uh, Marie Forleo's book, "Everything Is Figureoutable," which is not classic stoic literature, but as the title suggests, it's you know it has a positive attitude towards life. And I really enjoyed her book, and I think may, it might be interesting. You know, I think she has a, an audience with, uh, you know, mostly women. So, and I think women often think there are not, are, there aren't, you know, many women practicing stoicism. But I think Mary Forleo is a good example. You know, with some of her ideas, you can see maybe, yeah, you don't label it as stoicism, but it's maybe the same thing. So... I would, I do recommend her book, Everything is Figureoutable. I really enjoyed it and it helped me, you know, continue doing uh, what I struggled with. You know, you have a big project and it's hard, you know, to keep at it. And so it, uh, that was really helpful. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks very much. This was a, a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Josh. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget to pre-order my book, Brexit, The Establishment, Civil War. It's now available on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks for listening.